Hello, listeners. I forgot everything. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> you got it? All right. Hello, listeners. I'm Lauren. And I'm Rachel. And we're 433 Miles Apart. We're a podcast devoted to art, and we talk about music and books and movies and anything else that's artistic. That was really bad, but it's fine. We're just going to go with it. Um, and this time we're going to be talking about Stranger Things, the Netflix Netflix original series. Um, yay! Season one. Season one. So we start our podcasts um, with talking about uh, music that we've shared with each other. So this week, uh, Lauren shared with me All Time Low's song, Good Times. So I liked it all right. It was, it was a decent enough song. <laughs> I think um, if it's, it seems like a song that if I had known it in high school, like senior year, if it had come out senior year of high school, then I would hear it now and being like, oh yeah, those were good times. <laughs> and it would like make me real happy so I sent this to you because I still like it right now and it's being playing out it's being played on the radio so I feel like I'm going to stop liking it soon um, it's also off All Time Low's newest album which is way different from their other stuff so there's that um, but my main the main thing when I'm listening to it I think of the same thing I always uh I was like, man, I wish I had this like senior year of high school, <laughs> year of college, or like sometime where it would be appropriate. It would be appropriate. But, <laughs> yeah. Or like if I got a job somewhere far away or something. But right now I'm just like, it makes me think of high school. <laughs> yeah. So. I'm jealous of the the people today, right now, who get who get it for the uh-huh. senior song or whatever. And it's like it's. I think it's funny how we both. Think of that. I feel like the song was like made for that. <laughs> like, I, mean, I think it's about it's about like their the start of their band, and, oh, is like it? packing up and leaving for like the first tour and everything like that. Oh. Like I feel like that's what it's about. So it like makes sense because I think they were like in high school when they started. Gotcha. I don't have a ton to say about it. I just wanted to. <laughs> I don't know. Share it with me. I guess I just wanted to talk about uh, nostalgia, because it's like a really strong thing, and I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> just in general, you don't know if nostalgia yeah. is good or bad? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, it's like part of the whole, like, you need to live in the present, right? But like, you can't, that doesn't mean that you have to forget the past. So like, I feel like to, I feel like it's definitely a good thing. Um to like fondly remember these things from your past um as long as you don't let it become too consuming um and like become too much of like idolizing what used to be so that you like just wish that you could go back to it because like that is super easy to do um Mm -hmm. and then like like, I mean, all my time in college, I, I like, I remember it as just being like, oh, that was fantastic. Like, I just want to go back to college now. And like, that will solve all of my, like, <laughs> dissatisfaction with my current situation, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know? <laughs> and it's like, no, no, then I would just like, not have any free time again. <laughs> and like, <laughs> not sleep. 
<laughs> and it's like, there are definitely good things that happened and like, I'm glad that it happened. But, um, I think that it's, it's right for me to have moved on to the next thing now. Um, yeah, yeah. it's, it's hard. <laughs> Nostalgia is rough. I think, um, it's the same, the same lines as you said, like, as long as you're not letting it hold you back from things in your present, I think you're good. Like, I think it's really good to reflect on your life in a lot of different ways. So that, like, mm-hmm. reflect on, like, the person you used to be versus now to, like, see if you're growing or, like, remember, I don't want to say the the title of the song, but, like, remember, like, the good times that you've had. Like, those are all good things, but mm-hmm. romanticizing them and, like, wanting them to a point where yeah, you're just, like, not standing still is, that's where it gets you. Yeah. <laughs> that's the trick to not stand yeah. still. And I feel like it's it's so much harder also to appreciate the present when you just keep romanticizing the past. Yeah. Um, so the song uh, Rachel sent me was called Oh God Forgive Us by Freaking of Country. By Freaking in Country. <laughs> Somehow the way that you said Freaking in Country just sounded like Freaking Country. <laughs> like the, the first was, time you said it when you kind of messed freaking up. Freaking Country. <laughs> No, it wasn't country. It was not. Um, it was for king and country. I will enunciate better. <laughs> You're good. So how do you like the song? I know that you had said before that um, you had heard it and you weren't crazy about it. It's really weird because I, for some reason, I don't like the part with the, the like, the main part. Like, I don't like the, how, I think it's just how they sing it. Because I like the words okay, <laughs> I, but I don't like the, oh, God, forgive us part. Huh. Um, and I don't know why. <laughs> I just don't like it very much. But um, I really like the lyrics of this song. When you heard it the first time, did it have the rap part in it? I have no idea. I heard it on the radio, I think. Okay. Probably not I then. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, because that's, like, that's my favorite part of the song, and they cut it out of the radio version and just extend the, like, organ music for a while. Um, uh, yeah, and Dude, it's guess what? Sorry, what? this is a little bit of a side note, but I'm very excited about it. <laughs> um, so, on, like, Christian radio stations, whenever they play Skillet, if they play, like, a harder song by Skillet that isn't, like, stars, right? Um, <laughs> they They would play, like, I think it happened most with uh, Awaken Alive or Hero or something. Anyway, they would take the guitar solo out and just have the under, like, the music under it playing. So, like, they didn't cut the song at all. They literally just took the guitar out. <laughs> oh my so gosh! So it was, like, not very heavy. Uh... Right? Okay, and I was very <laughs> mad about it. So I wrote into my radio station. Oh, and guess what? I heard it on the radio, and the guitar solo was put back in. And I'm not saying that I made change, but I made change. <laughs> oh my gosh. Good job, Lauren. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, it was about a year between when I was writing in and between when I heard it with the guitar solo back in. Um, Maybe it just took a while. <laughs> Oh, man, I had to fight so through happy the upper when, when I heard it, and I was like, I was, um, I like, I got to the point. Skillet's like one of my favorite bands, and and if I heard them on the radio, sometimes I would change it because I was like, when they get to that guitar solo, I'm gonna be mad, and I don't want to <laughs> be mad, and uh, and then I stuck it out one day, 
and the guitar, guitar solo was back. Oh, so it might have been there for a while, and you just didn't know it. That's true, yeah. Had uh, you had you stopped listen listening to it, to it while you were still writing to them? What? Had you stopped listening to it um, like while you were still writing to them to complain? I don't know. That was in college. <laughs> Because that could be an issue. <laughs> if it's like, why haven't you fixed this? And they're like, we've already fixed it, freak. <laughs> Get well, over yourself. The first time I wrote, I wrote, I wrote in, at like, in like freshman year of college. And I only really listen to the radio when I'm like driving home. And I didn't go home too much in college. Because mm-hmm. um, I didn't have a car on campus. So I didn't like drive around and listen to the radio, right? So, um... I remember writing them, like, freshman year in college, and then I wrote them again uh, sophomore year in college. <laughs> and then I, I wrote, like, a few letters in sophomore year of college. So there was, like, spa- a little bit of space, but <laughs> I sent probably close to, like, ten emails. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what, what was your argument? Um, my argument was that... Um, was that people, there are some people who listen to rock music that would never tune into a Christian station because um, of the style. Because it all like, sounds the same. Yeah, it's all yeah. the same. And that makes sense because, like, it, uh, worship music needs to kind of be easy to, to right. uh, for more for a bunch of churches worship to Worship music does. And to, and to sing and all that stuff. The radio doesn't always have to play worship music. That's true. Um, but... Yeah, my argument was that I think leaving the guitar solo in could suck in someone who's, like, channel surfing, who normally wouldn't stop on a Christian station. Mm-hmm. But they would stop and listen to a guitar solo they liked. And then I was, and I also said, like, I like it, and I'm a Christian, so it's fine. <laughs> there you go. Probably probably something silly, but my main argument <laughs> I don't, I don't was know, Lauren, I think, I think it... <laughs> I think guitar solos are pretty ungodly. I'm not <laughs> sure if we can do this. Oh, oh boy. Man. <laughs> um, so back to for King and Country. <laughs> so to be fair, when I was first listening to it, I like, so I hate rap. <laughs> and as soon as he started talking, my immediate reaction was just like, no. Oh. <laughs> but then I liked the words he said, so it was fine. But I was just like, oh no, they're going to ruin it. <laughs> but that's just my own, like, music tastes. Yeah. Um, but I did like, like, the words he said in that part, so it made up for it. Because mm-hmm. I care about lyrics more than noise, usually. <laughs> so. Right. Well, like, um, I feel like for King and Country just likes to do stuff like that in their songs also. Because, like, they have two other big hit songs that both it's not like a rap but like they're yeah they're they're speaking through it um yeah yeah which I like it because um it like pulls out that section and really like if it was just more music I wouldn't have paid much attention to it I'm sure because like so for you it brings emphasis to it definitely like I I tend to just, like, be like, oh, yeah, I really like this song, and, like, just be paying attention to, like, the sound of it, um, which we've talked about before, and it, like, takes me a long time to start paying attention to the lyrics or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. But, like, with this, like, that was the first part that I was, that I really paid attention to, and, like, before I even understood the chorus, (laughs) I was, like, listening to that (laughs) rap section of it, and, like, yeah, this is great. We're, like, the opposite person, because, like, (laughs) they hooked me with, like, the line, um, 
couldn't cut our doubt with the sharpest knife. And that's literally the third line. (laughs) Um, I was like, okay, I'm into it. And then the rap came and I was like, oh, stop. (laughs) Dang it. That's funny. Well, good. So you liked it overall? That's that's like my main concern here. (laughs) It's like, I want to make sure that you like my music. Oh, I did like it. Um, I think it's because, I don't know, I think it's saying something a little bit more unique than what you usually hear yeah. on the radio. So. Yeah. Even in terms of, like, even that topic, like, forgive us. Because, like, <laughs> before I started really paying attention to the lyrics, I was, like, I just assumed that it was um, talking about, like, forgive us for our violence, forgive us for, you know all these bad sins that we do, all these wrong things that we do or whatever. Um, But, like, when you actually listen to it, it's like, forgive us because we don't fully believe in you and we don't fully trust you. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's just like a – it's a similar message, but it's just like, oh, okay. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) I like it because I feel like people don't like to admit their doubt, but doing that is like a form of – self-righteousness or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, That That, like, is completely fake. And I really am done with, like, putting up uh, the good Christian front and all that. Like, I'm very tired of it. And the older I get, the more tired I am of it. <laughs> <laughs> so for, like, for, like, you personally or for people that you see? Both. Okay. I'm, I'm way more, like, open about things and and it's almost like super intentionally vulnerable mm-hmm. because I know I want to change the image of like the quote unquote perfect Christian stuff like that. Like, cause I feel like that really, um, discredits the, the gospel. Like if uh, you're, yeah. you're going to act like you're, um, like you're good because of like good deeds or how you treat people like that's not bringing the credit back to like, I'm good because Christ like has has made me good, not because I've earned it. Yeah. Um, so I so I think showing our brokenness and how God has either healed that or used it is way more. Both it's way more honest and it's way more um, like uh, it makes a, it makes Christians more um, personable and like. Helps you actually relate with people. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, you're a normal human. Uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't think those are the right words, but... No, nah, I think you got it. Cool. <laughs> that was perfect. Cool. Okay. Oh, oh, oh. Um, something I thought of that I don't know if we can do. Um, at least not always. But I was wondering if we could, like, try to connect the songs to the main topic of our episodes. <laughs> um, I'm not sure how this would work, but I feel like tangentially. Oh, I, can I, can connect connect it. I can connect okay. it. Okay, all right, go ahead. Okay, so this, your song is talking about uh, disbelief, mm-hmm. and I have a whole thing about disbelief in Stranger Things, whether, like, it's believing children or adults and, like, the differences in that. So we're going to talk about belief um, awesome. Stra- uh, when we talk about Stranger Things. Yes. Um, Perfect. And then, and then good song. times. <laughs> uh, <laughs> remember the good times. Ooh, ooh. There are, there are flashbacks. 
Um, and so while they're separated, Barb gets um, taken uh, in the same, and it's like assumed it's the same way Will got taken. Um, do you want to do you want to tag me? <laughs> yeah, I think that's way too in depth. <laughs> that's okay. Um, okay, so Barb is gone now. Will is still gone. Um, Nancy is, like, worried, obviously, because her best friend has now been taken. So she goes back to investigate. She sees this creature in the woods. Meanwhile, Joyce, who is Will's mom, um, is starting... It seems like she's starting to go crazy um, because, like, lights are blinking, and she thinks she sees this thing, like, kind of pushing through the wall. And so, like, everyone thinks that she's crazy because she's talking to the lights um, and, like thinks that they're answering and so what we see as the audience is that uh will is there somehow and he's he's somehow communicating with her through the lights um first it's yes and no with blinking and then she actually writes out an alphabet on the wall so that he can uh write things to her um let's see what else is going on the sheriff starts uh, the sheriff starts to get more um like as he kind of starts discovering things about the disappearance, he t- starts to take it more seriously. So he kind of starts sneaking around. And then... Um, we need to touch on the kids. We haven't talked about Elle at all yet. Yeah, I know. So, <laughs> um, so then, I don't remember exactly how she enters, but enter this uh, little girl who, like, she has a shaved head um, and a tattoo on her arm that says 011. Um, and she's in a hospital gown. Yeah. We don't know why exactly, but there are people trying to get to her. Um, and do we see her powers quick? I don't know. I'm uh, pretty quickly. <laughs> okay. So, so she pops up first in this town diner. Um, and she's like eating food in back or whatever. So the owner of the diner uh, sees her and is like, no, stop eating. And then like realizes, oh, maybe she's in trouble. Um, so she hangs around. And the first time that we see her use her powers um, is he's off in the kitchen on the phone, I think, and she's eating food, and there's a, a squeaking fan that is annoying her, so she just kind of, like, stares at it for a second, and it stops. Um, so that's the first time that we see her powers. Um, so there ends up being, like, a scuffle <laughs> at the diner, because uh, some people come and they shoot him, um, but Eleven escapes. Sorry, the girl's name is Eleven. I don't think we said that. <laughs> um or at least that's that's what she knows her name to be. Um, so she escapes, um, ends up popping up in the woods when Will's three friends are out there looking for him. Um, and we have gotten so, through like one episode. <laughs> so a quick a quick version, a quick from there. What happens is the kids befriend L. Um, we L doesn't say much, but we get from flashbacks that she has been kind of. Uh, tortured and, like, experimented on um, to try to, like, get her powers developed or, like, to to push herself, um, or, like, the scientists to push her, to use her powers. Um, so the kids find Elle, um, and they all, the kids and Elle begin working as a team to try to uh, find Will because they learn... Um, that there's act. Uh, how do you explain the upside down? <laughs> um. Okay, so there's kind of an alternate dimension um, that we find out about. I think like halfway through this season. Um, that and that's that's where they realize Will is taken to. So 
11, she goes by L, um, has known this uh, for a little bit now, but so there, there's like this other world that's parallel to what to their town, um, but it's it's different, and that's where Will has been taken. Um, and so they go off trying to find a way to get into that world so that they can get him. Uh, meanwhile, Eleven is terrified of it because she knows that it's dangerous. She knows that there's uh, bad people involved, and there's also this monster involved. Um, and so she's trying to kind of stop them, which ends up, uh, you know, causing problems in the group, of course. Um, meanwhile, um, back to the teenager story. So Jonathan, who's Will's older brother, he's kind of an outsider, um, not po- not like in the popular crowd and stuff. He's a photographer, and he um, he was taking pictures at the party which um, Barb was taken. Um, he was kind of... Creeping. I don't know. Yeah, kind of creeping. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he started taking pictures, and he actually takes a picture of Nancy like while she's changing because they went swimming or whatever. Um, and Steve finds out about this and rips the pictures up and breaks his camera and all that stuff. Um, but Nancy takes one of the pictures and notices that it's like Barb sitting um, all alone by the pool and she pieces the picture together and um, notices that there's like a shape. So her and Jonathan end up teaming up. Um, they look at this picture closer and they can actually see the monster um, behind Barb in this one of these pictures. So they don't really do much with Will. They're mostly go- going to fight this monster that is taking people, or that they believe is taking people. Um, and so the kids are kind of doing, like, it's really interesting because the adults, the kids, and the teenagers are all after the same goal, like, to find Will and Barb to, like, stop the monsters, but they don't team up. They're just doing it, like, going about it three different ways, um, which I think is very interesting. Mm -hmm. What are the adults doing? (laughs) (laughs) So, man, what are the adults? (laughs) Okay, so meanwhile, um, Joyce and Hopper have kind of teamed up up now, um, and they go out and they... Hopper is doing some research, trying to figure out... Because he he found this lab, um, and so he wants to figure out what this lab is all about. So he's researching that and finds out that there were... Uh, some lawsuits filed against um, this guy Brenner, um, who's the the like leader of the lab, and we know from flashbacks that Eleven refers to this guy as Papa, um, and so Hopper and Joyce team up to go and find one of the women who had filed a lawsuit saying that her child was taken from her, um, and so they find out that the woman is now kind of incoherent, um, but her her sister tells them that she thought her daughter was born. Um, the story is that her daughter, her daughter was actually miscarried, but she says that her daughter was born and that she had special powers, things like telekinesis. Um, and so they, they start to think, Oh, is there another person out there? Like what's going on in this lab? Um, so Hopper actually goes out and, uh, breaks into the laboratory to try and figure things out. Um, I'm jumping all over the timeline right now. Um, Hold on, rewind a bit. Yeah. So after all the after after the teenagers kind of start to fight this monster, um, Will's body shows up in a lake, um, and so the those younger kids um, kind of have a falling out. Like they get angry. They kind of start to blame 
each other for certain things. Meanwhile, the sheriff goes, uh, ends up breaking into where the body's being held and finds out that the body's actually not real. Like, it's not really Will. Um, even though it looks like him, it's like stuffed or something. Um, and Joyce is still convinced that Will is alive. Um, and Jonathan is trying to get it through to his mom that, like, he's dead. At some point, then, all of the, the kids and the teenagers and the adults all finally get together um, during the last couple episodes of this. Um, and they try to use Eleven um, to communicate with Will and to try and find Will and Barb on the Upside Down. Um, so they get in the high school so that they can get all the right equipment together. Um, and she kind of transports over there, finds out that Barb is dead. Um, and then she finds Will, and he's uh, not looking great. <laughs> um, and and the like monster pops up. Um, and so now Joyce and Hopper um, decide that they're going to go off and try to rescue Will. So they go to the lab where they know that the gate into this other world is. Um, which the gate, by the way, was uh, opened up when... Eleven was, uh, like, trying to spy on a Russian. So that's that's what she was kind of cultivated for, um, was to be used as a, a weapon, basically, a, a spy against the Russians. Um, and so while that was happening, things just kind of, like, pushed a little too far. Um, and that's when she first saw the monster, and then they went back, and she, she saw this monster again. And uh, that's when the gate opened. Um, go. So the... The series ends, um, so they go in, They go into the, the Upside Down, they're able to get Will and bring him back. Um, miraculously, he's still alive. <laughs> and um, the series kind of ends with them bringing him back. Um, but when they bring him back, uh, a monster comes through, is that right? Yeah. And Elle, um, using her powers, like, seemingly, like, sacrifices herself using, because her powers, if she uses, if she does something big or uses it too much, um, she gets these nosebleeds, so we can kind of infer that, like, doing a lot, um, is painful or, uh, or strenuous to her, so she ends up, um, killing the, the, the monster that comes through, and it, it seems like she, she dies from that, um. She vanishes but, anyway. Yeah, um, <laughs> and so it's kind of at the end, um, Will's back, everyone's happy, like, they're obviously sad, like, mourning Elle's loss and all that stuff, um, but it ends with, uh, when they're, the kids go back to playing D&D, like, a month later, and, um, and after the session ends, we see, uh, Will kind of, like, Tra- almost like transport back into the into the upside down um and then but it's like a flash like he's still somehow connected to it um or it still has some sort of like i don't know hold on him or something i don't, I don't know um and like mike comes back and he's like are you okay and he's like yeah fine so like it's kind of, he's kind of trying to keep it to himself um and then we go to uh Sheriff Hopper, who is at, like, a, I don't know, like a, like a sheriff company dinner thing. Yeah, that, like, a Christmas party. 
a work Christmas party. <laughs> and uh, and we see him take a plate of leftovers um, and some Eggo waffles, which Elle, at one point in time, broke into a store and stole oh a bunch God. of Eggo waffles. <laughs> so we know that she loves them. <laughs> um, uh, he takes the plate to her. And, or not to her, to like this box in the woods or whatever, and uh, see, like we can assume that he is he is leaving it for L to to get. So we know that somehow Will is still connected to the Upside Down, and somehow L is still alive. <laughs> so. Awesome. Yeah. So let's. I want to talk about the. Um... This is like jumping straight to the end, but like Will's connection with uh, the Upside Down. Um, so like in this in this story, the like parallel u- universe is explained to the kids by their science teacher um, as being like a tightrope. So there's an acrobat on the tightrope who can walk forward and back, and that's all that he can do, and that's our world. Um, but then. Imagine a flea on the same tightrope. The flea can go forward and back, but the flea can also go around and even like upside down. Um, and so that's what the monster is. The monster can, it seems at any point, just kind of swap over from one world to the next. Um, whereas as humans, the acrobats would have to go to the gate, the opening, um, and go through that in order to get to, get to the other dimension. Um, now it seems that somehow... Eleven and Will, I think, are kind of, like, learning how to become fleas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's not under their control, but they can definitely do some kind of, like, jumping back and forth between the two worlds now. Um, and that's that's not at all clear yet, but I just think that's really interesting that, like, once you've, now that you've experienced both worlds, then you're more able to make that jump back and forth. I don't really have anything other to say, <laughs> to say other than oh, that, but um, um, I'm gonna jump way back to the beginning. Go for it. Because one of the first things I thought of. Okay, so the the whole the whole series opens with um, the the all the kids playing D and D together, and um, and like we see them face like they have obviously come to a, a really kind of climactic part in their campaign and they're facing like a big boss and all, they call the demigorgon and all that stuff. Um, so at one point in time during this, this battle, uh, someone, I don't know if they, someone goes up, runs upstairs real quick or their mom calls down, but their mom says like, um, well, it's school night. It's like time to go home. And one, and I think it's Will, um, or is it Mike? I don't know. One of the Will or Mike says, I think it's Mike, so I think he's talking to his own mom. Um, but he says, like, uh, like, we can't stop now. We're, like, at this important part. And she was like, um, no, you can stop now or whatever. It's time, like, it's time for bed. I just thought of a little bit of perspective, because, like, I've played D&D, and, like, <laughs> If I was at the climactic park, like a big boss battle, and someone was like, "No, we have to stop now," I would just like wait like a minute, like, <laughs> like, like, come on, like it's not, it's really not a good stopping point. But like, I can also see it from like the mom's perspective of being like, "It's a game, turn it off," mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, 
and I thought about that in my own life. Like, there were a lot of times where, like, uh, my brother and I were playing video games, and my mom would be like, okay, like, it's time to dinner, like, turn it off, or, like, time to go to bed, turn it off. And we'd be like, can we just get to a safe point? And, like, and I understand because my mom's like, well, that could be an hour, which rightfully so. (laughs) Right. So, So, like, I don't know. I thought about balancing those two ideas. Like, (laughs) it really is hard to stop stop certain things at certain times. But also, like, as a parent, you have to, like, say stop (laughs) or like they won't stop I don't know right I don't know why I thought about that (laughs) yeah well and it's it's also um so I saw I saw this in your notes so we for the audience's uh sake um we swapped notes ahead of time just so that we could like see what each other was thinking um and I think something that you had noted is just that we like we judge characters in TV so much more harshly than we do real people. Um, and so, like, I don't mean this as, like, any insult to your mom or, like, any other parent who has done this, but, like, we also know that from from everything else that these are just awful parents. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, everything they do is just, like, they cannot reach their children. And it's, like, to a certain extent, the mom is trying. Like, there are multiple times that she says to both of her kids, um you can talk to me. Like, I just want to know what's going on with you, like what's happening. Um, and they won't tell her, but like at the same time, there's just, there's clearly this wall there that she can just not understand them. Cause like when, when everyone thinks that Will is dead, for example, and like he's had his funeral, um, his mom thinks that it's going to make Mike feel better to like go shopping with him and go to the movies or like go, go to the blockbuster store or whatever and get an R rated film. It's like, no, (laughs) like she thinks that that's going to be like this great treat or whatever. And like, she's trying to help. She wants to make him feel better, but it's like, that is clearly not the thing that he needs right now. If his best friend has just died. Um, and like, it ends up working out for the best because his friend isn't dead and he needs her to leave so that he can do things. Um, but it's just, it's it's like this mom just does not understand him. While meanwhile, the dad is just completely detached and like hardly even there. Um, so, man, these parents <laughs> just don't understand the children. Yeah, that's going to bleed into... Um, okay, before we leave the D&D topic, um, I really liked that... So during their campaign, they're um, going into like this big boss battle and... They they end up rolling a dice to a, to for an attack, and the dice gets lost, and so they're scrambling around trying to figure out what the roll was. And the and the DM run I think it's Mike. He runs upstairs to to get, and they has that conversation with his mom where she's like, "Are you gonna go home? Whatever." And um, and so they meanwhile while he's upstairs, the other kids find the dice and it's it's a it's a seven, which is an inf- insufficient roll to for the attack to land. And um and they're like, is that is does the roll on the floor count? And then they were like, did the DM see it? Like we can just <laughs> re-roll it, it's fine. Or like say it was a higher number. Um but when Will's leaving, um he turns to Mike and he he goes, uh, I rolled a seven like I, it wasn't. It wasn't. I wasn't able to, to hit him or whatever. Or I wasn't able to. I don't know if he was trying to protect someone. I don't know what he was trying to do at the time, but he was honest with like, with the role, and since 
it was really interesting to see that because like we see so little of Will before he gets taken. <laughs> so they had to make you care about him quickly. And in that like small interaction, you already see like, oh, Will's honest and Will's good and and he had already even uh, like chosen to take the risky move uh, for the sake of the party. He could have mm-hmm. he could have what cast protection or something like that, um, which would have been easier to do. But he chose to try and fight the monster. So, and Will gets taken like right after that. So we only get like probably five minutes to like establish Will's character and make you care about him getting taken. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that characterization was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess let's just talk about Elle for a minute. She's great. <laughs> um, I guess, yeah, okay, so, like, we just talked about Will and, like, how, how quickly you care for him. Um, I think Elle, she takes a little bit longer, and that's, I mean, we have more time with her, of course. Um, but, like, right off the bat, she's, like, this, you know that something's wrong, and she comes from some kind of rough childhood, um, which, like, I feel like some of the most touching parts of her character are when she, like, sees the pieces, the things that she missed out on. Um, so, like, she's, at one point, she's walking through Mike's house and uh, walks, wanders into Nancy's room and sees this uh, music box, and then she sees some childhood photos on the wall. Um, and you just see her starting to get emotional, like, I didn't have this. Um, and, like, other times when she sees her, her reflection and uh, sees her shaved head, um, and she's, like, just really sad about that, and, like, she wants to have had a normal childhood and be a normal girl, um, and it's something that she's really missed out on. I think it's very touching. She's probably my favorite character. Well, her or Dustin, <laughs> one of those two. We're pretty different in our, in our I mean, really? of course, I like, I like Elle, but, um, I think my favorite is probably, like, Nancy and Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so, for Elle, um, the coolest thing that I saw with her was that, um, it was seemingly, like, two conflicting ideas to me, because they were balancing this idea of, like, Elle is innocent, and Elle has lost her innocence. And they would go back and forth with that. They showed her innocence because, like, of what kind of the things that... The things that she gravitated towards towards seemed innocent. Like, she went and stole a bunch of, like, Eggo waffles, which is, like, a, a targeted... A food talk targeted towards kids or whatever, and she... Um, didn't understand some societal norms and, um, how she, like, doesn't completely understand what's happening and, um, and we see her being kind of like a, uh, we see her as a child who things are being, who bad, bad things are acting on, um, so we see her as undeserving of, of the pain um, that she's been through and stuff like that. So, um, like, harming an innocent is kind of how you can see her character. Um, but then they balance that with, uh, she simultaneously is, has, like, this loss of innocence because she, kind of what Rachel was saying, how she was, like, going through the Nancy's room and was like, oh, I didn't have this. Like, her childhood was kind of taken away from her. 
um, we get flashbacks of her being tested where obviously she didn't get a childhood. She had to deal with, like, adult things quickly. And in her reactions, so she is often motivated by anger or fear. And it seems like um, because she's been exposed to all this, like, the upside down and her powers and everything, she has this, like, base knowledge that other kids don't have. So that's, like, already putting her as someone who knows a little more. But she also, I don't know. So it's like a teeter-totter. Like, sometimes she's innocent and, like, being hurt or, like, you feel like she she's someone who needs to be um, protected and then sometimes you see her acting beyond her age, um, especially when Joyce kind of becomes like a mother figure to her. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you see, so that's in that scene with the bathtub. Um, so they're trying to open the, our L decide, uh, agrees to go to the upside down. So she's in the bathtub and she's um, like about to go and uh, Joyce uh, keep saying, like, even as she, like, enters the, the upside down, Joyce keeps saying, like, it's okay, like, I'm here, um, and stuff like that, so we see the innocence, like, she needs help, she needs, like, her mother figure to, like, um, to get through things, but at the same time, we see her loss of innocence, because she's, like, she knows what she's getting into, and she's willing to do it anyway, like, that kind of balance. She. A long <laughs> I really loved that moment too with Joyce because it was such. Um, it was such a great contrast with uh, what's his name, Papa. That's <laughs> I just called him Papa through all my notes because I can never remember his name. Like Brenner. Mm-hmm. Um. So like at one moment we see in a flashback, um, like he asks her, "Is this okay? Like we're we're going to do this thing? Is that okay?" Um, and of course she says yes, but it, like, my question is like, what if she didn't say yes? <laughs> like, I don't, she, she was a prisoner. She clearly did not have a choice in any of this. Um, whereas when she's with Joyce and she's going into there willingly, um, and Joyce is like, I'm going to be with you the whole time. And like, I'm, I'm here for you and it's okay. It's okay. Um, like even when she's in the upside down, um, she can hear Joyce there and comforting her and it really it helps her calm down. It helps her continue. Um, and I just, I love that she was able to experience having that, that actually loving parent figure. Um, because all that she's known before is just manipulation and being used. So I want to talk about, uh, all of the different names that Eleven has, um, and that she's assigned and, and words that are used to identify her. Um, because I think there's, she has a lot of different things that are used to identify her. Um, and I feel like each one kind of carries its own weight. Um, so, okay, so first, of course, there's Eleven, um, which is the name given to her by the lab. Um, it's tattooed on her wrist. Uh, so she's, or on her forearm anyway. Um, so, like, obviously that's very, like, it's cold. It's a number. It's not really a name at all. Um, it just really reminded me of concentration camps. Um, and like, you know, that's, it's, it's like stripping her of her humanness, um, and making her just an experiment. And then you even see, so it's zero one, one, um, 
three digits, indicating that like she was just one of possibly hundreds of experiments that they're going to be running. Um, if she doesn't work out, they're going to do, you know, however many more until they get something that works. Um, and they're prepared for that. That's why they have three digits. And then like, um, when she first gets the nickname of L. Um, I thought that was really interesting because, um, so Mike first figures out, he's like, 11, like, is that your name? And then he's like, um, he almost, like, recognizes the inhumanness and is like, well, how about we call you something else? And that, um, I thought it was important that he didn't, um, he didn't pick a completely different name. Yeah. Like, let's call you Sarah. You know, like, it's, it took, like, the inhuman name that she was given and then, like, made it, or turned something bad into something um, more beautiful, like, giving her humanness in, um, in spite of the, the inhumanness that has been placed on her. Yeah. I thought that was cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, and also that he asks her, like, I think we'll call you L. is that okay? Um, mm-hmm. And, like, I'm, I'm, I can't remember exactly, but I feel like you could really see it in her expression, um, Felt like this is something that she needed. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so that's so L. So that's um, that's how she goes by for most of the rest of the story. Um, but there are still a few other names. So like Jane um, is never directly associated with her. We never see someone call her Jane. Um, but that's the name that we learn that her actual biological mother uh, had given her. Um, so. I think that's interesting. It's, it's this name, it's a human name that was intended for her, um, and then just completely dismissed and taken away. Since no one has ever, like, called her that, it's like, um, it's almost like Jane never got to exist, because... Like, yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'm, I'm really curious to see, um, in the next season, if something happens with that, um, uh-huh. if the mother comes back into it, and, because, like, she was such a small part of this story, and I feel like... She's really important, obviously. <laughs> um, so I'm curious to see what happens with that. Um, and then from there, not necessarily names, but like just a few other words that were given to her. So weirdo and freak. Um, mostly Lucas would use that um, in before they before he accepted her. Really, um, mm-hmm. he especially. I mean, he he like didn't like this girl obviously and then I think some of the others called her weirdo but it wasn't it it felt it always felt different coming from Lucas because he clearly had a problem with her um and wanted to kind of like name her as other um and then there's weapon so that one I noticed it came up twice um one is actually Mike which uh surprised me a little bit but I think that he was just using it um because he, he thought that it was the language that his friends would, would really um, be convinced by. Um, uh-huh. He was trying to convince them to take her along with them because they're going in with nothing but a slingshot. Um, and he said, she's a weapon. It's what they need to, to do this. Um, and then later on, it wasn't actually directly at her. They were just talking. Um, it was the four kids in the junkyard. And Lucas had joined them, and he was talking talking about the lab, um, and explaining, like, someone asked, what do they do there? And he said, I don't know, make weapons or something. Um, and like when he said the word weapons, then the camera focused on 11. Um, 
And so it, it was just kind of a moment for us to be like, oh, that hurts. <laughs> She's not just a weapon. <laughs> um, and then the last one that I saw was Monster. So she actually said this herself she, um, when she was explaining that she's the one who opened the gate. And she just has this guilt that, like, obviously is not deserved. Um, she had she was forced into this situation from birth, like, um, that she was, she was the one who ended up opening the gate, um, initiating that, really. But uh, she's clearly innocent. But she carries this guilt with her about that. And she said, I'm the monster, um, which all the other kids immediately denied. No, you're not the monster. Um, and they hugged her and said, no, you saved me. Um, that kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I just, I just, I, I wanted to go through all of her different names. I think that names, um, carry power. And so like when Mike, uh, gave her the nickname L. Um, it actually made me think of like biblical things. Um, and I'm sure I only thought about this cause they've talked about it in church before, but like when, when Jesus would meet someone and like they become a new person, like now they have a new name, like Simon became what Peter, I think. Um, right. and Saul became Paul and it's like this, uh, outward sign of an infer- inward transformation. Um, and I, I think that's definitely what happened to Elle. And, um, sorry, you made me think of biblical stuff, and I'm actually, our church is going through Daniel. So, under, like, Nebuchadnezzar's reign, um, a lot of the people were stripped of their names and given different names. Like, it was basically, like, reprogramming, like, who they were so that they could be, you know, like, citizens of, or, like, like, servants to like Nebuchadnezzar mm-hmm. kind of thing so it's similar to like L and like <clears throat> they took away Jane and gave her a number um it's similar to like in Daniel where they took away um this would be so much better if I could remember their original <laughs> uh <laughs> <laughs> would you know enough to be able to research it real quick yeah hold on <laughs> <laughs> but it's like they get they're given the red shack meshack and abendigo i didn't know that of course i got most of my understanding of that story from uh veggie tales so <laughs> rack shack and benny right <laughs> so in um in the book of daniel when uh like daniel and everyone is taken to babylon basically to be like they're trying to take away their old like, their their culture, and then, like, force them into a different culture. So, Nebuchadnezzar is, like, taking over Dr- uh, Jerusalem. And so, in the first, uh, and part of the, like, rebranding of the people um, to be under his rule, he what he tried to do was strip them of, like, their old culture and then provide them with new identities. So, how he did that was with names. So, um... He took away their old names and gave them new names. Um, so the verse is in it's First Daniel 6. It says, um, Among those who were chosen were some from Judah. Daniel, oh crap, names are hard. <laughs> Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I'm sorry about names, can't do it. <laughs> um, the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he 
the name <laughs> crap Balthazar <laughs> to Hanaya Shadrach and to Michelle Mezaka <laughs> sorry <laughs> and to Azaria Abendigo uh, so it's really kind of what they did without that was terrible <laughs> but basically those names were taken away and given them new names. And the names that had meanings like servant of the Lord, um, the the new names that were given changed to be like uh, servant of um, one of the god, like the pagan gods. And so uh, I related that to like El, how like to strip her, like they stripped her of the identity of Jane and tried to raise her as, as a weapon as a number kind of thing. Um, so both the giving of a name and the taking away of a name, I think are, I don't know. Those are like two sides to it, to like the same coin kind of thing. Cause like what you were saying with, um, like they're becoming a new, better person. Um, you can see that like giving them hu- humanity, like the change with, you know, saw Paul or like, mm-hmm. um, 11 to to L is giving it, that person like a new life kind of versus this where it's it's taking away the name that is doing the harm. Yeah. Well, and that's also wordy. It's <laughs> okay. Um yeah, I feel like it's, it circles back around to what you were saying about um like they didn't just completely remove who she's always known herself to be. Um, they weren't trying, Mike wasn't trying to erase her past or like erase who she, who she was or whatever. He was just trying to like show her, um, I don't know. I think this, this was probably partially unintentional, but like showing her a better life, you know, um, and like taking who she was and like getting an upgrade, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Um, I mean that in the best like way possible. Weapon, a weapon upgrade? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think I think it's definitely important that he didn't just like completely give her a random name. Yeah, um, and it was just like we can take like you can be you and and be human and like still have this like a better identity. Yeah. Awesome. I like that. Um, I remember what I was going to connect it to. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier, like while we were talking, you connected it to uh, why is it easy to fault a character for, like... Like, it, we're harder on, on characters than we are on real people. Yeah. So that I made that connection with Nancy and Steve's relationship. So um, Steve's the popular guy who Nancy's kind of infatuated with at the beginning. And then um, we kind of see his bad moments where he, like, he, like, rips up Jonathan's photos and breaks his camera. He kind of... What else does he do that makes you, like... He kind of bully... Doesn't he bully someone else or something? Um. So he's, he's all in all very mean to Jonathan because even, like, before Jonathan did anything of questionable moral... Um, like, John, they saw him in the school, and Steve was like, oh, or I forget if it was Steve or one of his friends, but, like, everyone was going along with it, that, like, oh, he probably killed his brother, like, that time type of oh, thing. Yeah. Um, and then later on, uh, he, I mean, I don't know. He thinks that 
Nancy is cheating on him, so he goes around and spray paints Nancy the slut all over, uh, like, the movie theater sign and the walls and stuff like that. Well, technically his friend does, but he doesn't stop. Oh, okay. He's definitely, like, happy with it, though. <laughs> so he's kind of not painted as a, as a super good guy, but and Nancy kind of stays with him even after, like, she sees him being mean in a way that she kind of obviously doesn't approve of, too. Um, and I remember watching it, and at the end, like, throughout the thing, like, after he, it's, like, his friends paint, like, Nancy is a slut everywhere, and she teams up with Jonathan, and they do all their, whatever, growing together. <laughs> um, so she, like, befriends him and everything. And even all that, like, after all of that, um, at the end of the whole season, she's still actually with Steve, and I remember thinking, like, no, why? <laughs> See, I mean, St- Steve has his moments of redemption, where, like, he, he stays, and he, or, like, comes back and helps them fight the monster when he gets caught up in that, and he, um, he does try to, to scrub off the Nancy is a slut from one of the, the places it's written, um, so he has, like, these small moments of, of redemption, but, like, still, it doesn't, for some reason, it, like, doesn't feel like enough for for me, I don't know, yeah. or for the audience. Um, but it's, like, super easy. It was, like, easy to fault Nancy for, like, staying with him or, or like, not doing something else or for him, I don't know, for him, he, like, remains a bad guy in your head. Um, whereas, like, in real life, if I was in that situation, like, maybe he wouldn't have remained a bad, like, maybe the things he did was, would have been enough, um, to, like, make amends for the things he, he used to do. But it, it seems from, like, the out, from the audience point of view, like, it, it looks more black and white, like, on a TV show than it would, like, in our own lives. Yeah. It's easy, yeah, like, it's easy to fault characters for for things that we may actually be doing like in our own life (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and not and like and I feel like that happens all the like all the time and you can and if anyone were to be like well aren't you kind of doing that with so-and-so like I feel like you'd be like no but here's why it's different and like list all these excuses (laughs) it's it's kind kind of of not (laughs) Mm -hmm. but like life's more complicated than than a black and white show and we need to remember that of characters like Nancy's still one of my favorites even though I feel like she's she's making some bad choices or whatever well and like I wasn't okay so when we saw that she was still with Steve at the end I can't remember uh what my reaction was the first time I watched this show because I've watched it twice through um but when I saw it the second time anyway I was like good (laughs) <laughs> like, cause, and, and I don't know if that's just because, like, it's such a trope to be, like, there is a female character and a male character, and they do things together, so at the end of the movie, they're gonna end up together and live happily ever after. <laughs> and so, like, just to see something different from that was, like, to me, um, kind of a relief. Um, but also just, like, I don't know, like, if you go on this adventure with a person and you grow together, does that mean that you should be together romantically? You know? Like, I mean, I don't, I don't know how I feel about Steve, but I don't know. I don't think that 
just because they did this thing together. And yes, Steve was a jerk for a while, but now he's like kind of redeemed. Um, and like they already had a thing together before. So like, I don't know. I don't know that they should break up so that she can be with Jonathan just because Jonathan's brother was taken and like has been through the same experiences as her. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I didn't bring Jonathan into it yet. I was oh, just okay. thinking of being with or without Steve. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> um, but, like, because I know, I know in TV shows... Um, she can't be single, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I super... Specifically in TV shows um, and movies and stuff, like, romances are one of my favorite things to watch like Mm -hmm. I don't know I really like them so I focus more on them than probably like other important things (laughs) Uh, and I like hope for them or whatever Mm -hmm. but it's kind of funny because I've noticed this recently like I don't actually hope for the relationship that is better I hope for the person I like better (laughs) so like as far as, I guess, bringing Jonathan into it now, like, as far as, like, Na- like Nancy and Steve or Nancy and Jonathan, it's, like, I like Jonathan more, so she should be with him. Not, yeah. like, who are they better? Like, like who is better for her or, like... Definitely. See the value in, like, tr- uh, her, like, committing to Steve and, like, trying with him and, like, forgiving his shortcomings and stuff. Like, there's super value in that, but, like... I like Jonathan more as a character, so well, she has to. I think it's I think it's related to how like if you're okay. Have you watched the hundred the one hundred at all TV show? No. Okay, um, it's like one of those futuristic dystopian things, you know, um, with with teenagers. So um, it's like you you get connected to these characters and like just because they're the main focus of the show, that's why you root for them because it's like. There are lots of moments where it's, like, either this entire group of people dies or that other entire group of people dies. And it's, like, you want the other group of people to die because these are our characters, and so obviously we want them to live. Like, right. there's there's no good or bad about it. It's just, like, this is this is who we know and what we want to happen. <laughs> so it's, yeah. like, and I, I feel like that's so easy to do in TV with, with situations like that or with what you're talking about with, like, oh, I like that character better because... And even, like, other things where it's, like, maybe the maybe both men are, like, great options for, or, or like, they're both great guys, but, like, we focus on this person more, and, like, we see more of their backstory and, and the troubles that they're going through, so we like them more. And so, mm-hmm. therefore, we want them to win and end up with the girl or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that might be, I can't remember, but is it is it known that, yeah, because he takes pictures, sorry, I was... I was wondering if we knew Jonathan's feelings for her and if that oh, yeah. influenced it. So yeah. he definitely is uh, likes her a little bit, at least. Uh, a lot of it. I'm remembering it more and more. He likes her, yeah. <laughs> that has so, been established. That, that influences it, too. Because, like, honestly, I root for Jonathan more than I do Nancy. Um, and yeah. that, that influences it, too. Like, if I want... Because, like, since Jonathan's my favorite, I care about his needs more than I care about, I don't know, anyone else's. And, like, I'm trying to think of the adults, like, who, like, if there was ever a moment, I guess at the very beginning, um, before I understood who the sheriff was, because he ended up being one of my favorite characters, so, but at the very beginning, he was a, a lackadaisical sheriff who didn't, 
uh, believe the mom and was kind of an obstacle for her. So, and I like immediately liked Joyce. So I was like, Hey, (laughs) I want, like, I want anyone to suffer as long as she gets to like, look for her son. But then like, as a, uh, as my like, I don't know, my like of the characters that like changed and like the sheriff, like I ended up liking him more than Joyce. Like then I imagine if I watched this a second time through, I would have different reactions to things. <laughs> I don't know. It's real, and so like I, I hope for, for people, the wants of some people over others, just because I like them more, and not because of like anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think that's fair. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's true in real life, like. With if you think of like your friends or family or whatever, like you hope for them over anyone else simply because like you like them more personally. Oh yeah. Like well, even like, even in the romantic thing, if it's like if I find out that my friend likes someone, <laughs> like I will not even think about like would they make a good couple? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I instantly go to like yeah, let's see if we can get you guys together. <laughs> like I just I want their wants to be fulfilled. <laughs> um yeah do you want to talk about hopper some because i like his character just grew so much throughout this story um Mm -hmm. and like all of it like both both the bad at the beginning and the awesome at the end (laughs) like it's all motivated by his daughter um which i just think is like i don't know it just isn't so meaningful I think that he's he's surprising to me. I'm trying to think of the example. So when we first meet him, he the background is he 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 like he's divorced. He moved to this town after the death of his daughter. Like he he went to a smaller city, so he didn't have as much responsibility. Like he does not care <laughs> about anything really. When we're introduced to him, isn't he like drinking before he goes to work? I think, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> and so he shows up at work, and um, like the secretary there is trying to tell him this this thing that's going on, and it's really important. And he says, "We've talked about this before. Mornings are for coffee and contemplation. <laughs> Let's not get into it." <laughs> and that's as a result of like the heartache that he's gone through. But you don't know that at the time. Well, I mean, you can assume it because most people don't. I don't know, drink in the morning if they're just a normal average joke. Um, but as the, as it goes, the I didn't for some reason I ex, I didn't expect him to be a person who went to such lengths to look for Will. Like as soon mm-hmm. as he as soon like the second he thinks I need to try to find this kid as hard as I tried to keep my own daughter alive as soon as that switch flips he like is relentless and I think that's so like admirable mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know I feel like he just has he's he's grown anyway to have like this heart for children it seems because like at the end he hasn't known Elle for that long like he he was never really with her all that much but then now he's the one who is going and bringing her like cookies and eggos um, yeah. And so I, I just feel like he's he's gone from being so consumed by grief for the loss of his 
own daughter to like, I feel like he can maybe see his daughter in other children a lot more than he could before. Um, Cause you know, it starts off with like, he knows that there's a missing kid and he's just like, eh, it's probably fine. Whatever. Um, and then yeah, now he says like he, he probably went early to school. Or right. Stuff like that. Yeah. And now like he has this, this need to, um, I mean, of course he rushes off and risks his life to try and save Will and risks all kinds of things, uh, to save this kid. And then, and then now that Will's safe, he's gone on to helping Elle, um, in whatever way he can. So I just think that's great. I don't know why, but like he, he, since he's, I think it's interesting that he's the sheriff because like he goes from like the first interaction is, is kind of like, Oh great. The cops in this are going to be useless. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like all cops in all movies. I don't know. Yeah. And then, and then he like transforms to be like, what you want all cops to be. And mm-hmm. it's like, um, I don't know, it's like this hopeful transition. I and it's know. it's also, um, the transition is that he then goes and, like, is breaking the law <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in all kinds true. of ways. <laughs> so, that's super true. Uh, maybe we kind of want our cops to be like that. <laughs> like, I want our cops <laughs> to break the laws and for noble reasons. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Oh, man. I kind of forgot he did a lot of that. <laughs> I just think it's interesting that, like, our one good representation of, like, an awesome cop is is one that is, like, no longer a cop, basically. Like, he's just, yeah. like, a great guy going out to do great things. <laughs> and, like, by whatever means necessary. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I just, um... So... There's a moment at the very end where, the F, right after they find Will, who's not in good shape, um, the sheriff is... I th- is it just J- Joyce and the sheriff that find him? That find... Will there, too. Uh, Will? It's just the two of them. Um, Elle is busy with uh, the bad guys and the, and the monster in the high monster. school. Yeah. Okay. So at the end, when they find Will, it's just Joyce and the sheriff. And, um, he's going back, like, it's kind of this moment where it's either, like, either they're gonna find Will's body, or he's gonna be alive kind of moment, and he keeps flashing back to, to his daughter, where she is, she had cancer, and she, um, so she's hooked up in the hospital, and, like, and, like, you know, like, the machines start beeping, and you can tell, like, she's starting to go downhill, and the doctors start to do, like... CPR on him, on her, and so, like, it's, he's really, like, reliving this moment of, like, okay, either this kid's gonna live or this kid's gonna die, and, like, the, the, like, emotional, I don't know, walking the, like, emotional tightrope of, like, that moment where, like, it's really 50-50, and we have to be prepared for, for, like, either, either outcome, um, and then they find Will, and he's unconscious, and he has to start doing CPR on Will. Um, and it keeps getting mirrored with his do- the doctors doing the CPR on his daughter, um, and him, like, sitting there watching powerless. Um, 
and he still feels powerless even though he's the one doing like the CPR on the <laughs> on Will and stuff. And so it's really just like that that's like a complete parallel. It's two instances where it can really go either way. One instance he loses his daughter, um the other and then paralleled with this, this moment where um Joyce gets her son back. And I just thought that it was really beautifully cut together. How upsetting would it have been for this story if Will had died right there? <laughs> Will died. <laughs> oh, it would have been devastating. I think the sheriff would have would have given up on on life. Yeah, probably. Have we talked about Jonathan much? I feel like we have. Yeah, kind of. Okay. We're gonna talk about whether his photography is creepy or not. <laughs> uh, yes, it's creepy. <laughs> In case anyone is wondering, do not. Go creeping through the woods with your camera and take pictures of <laughs> a young woman getting undressed without her knowing. The problem here is consent. <laughs> so. <laughs> yes, the very major problem. <laughs> it is about expectation of privacy. If you are in a public place, you can take pictures mm. of people walking around because there is no expectation of privacy. Um... You cannot take pictures through windows or on private property where there is an expectation of property of pri- of privacy because <laughs> that is literally breaking the law and it's bad being a bad human. Yeah. So don't do that. Yeah. But when he is taking pictures at school, it is not creepy. It's fine. He's trying to be an artist. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I want to talk about his reasoning for taking photos. I, I mean, like, when he takes the photos of Nancy, I don't, I think it's bullshit that, he's, that he says he's trying to understand her. I think it's just because he likes her, and he's like, and that's that's just, like, the way that he sees things is, like, if he sees something beautiful, then he takes a picture of it, like, that type of thing. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that he was, like, trying to see what she was saying. <laughs> but in most instances, um... I really like that. <laughs> um, and, like, I've, I've heard photographers talk before about, um, like, after they've been photographing for a long time, then they'll, like, walk around and, and like, they start to see things in terms of lighting and composition. Um, and, like, I mean, I even did that to some extent when I was taking a photography class. Um, is that, like, just throughout the rest of your life, then you start to be like, oh, that's a really, like, the, the positioning of this person and, like, the way the light's hitting them, like, it's just right, <laughs> like, that kind of thing. Um, and so, like, letting it kind of bleed into your mind and the, the, way that, um, the way that you see the world. I just like that. I do that constantly. <laughs> I'm sure. So can, can confirm. <laughs> so while they, well, after he kind of teams up with Nancy and they're in the dark room trying to look closer at that picture with Barb or whatever, Jonathan says he prefers to observe because people don't always say what they're thinking. I don't know. I think I just relate to Jonathan's character. <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> that's why you like him. <laughs> I think so. I, uh... I don't know, like, in my own photography, because I'm a photographer, but my favorite moments in, like, a photography session is when, um, is when I can get the family to be, like, just, like, normal with each other and not even aware that there's a camera there, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because, like, and then I feel like an observer, not someone who's, who's posing and stuff, and... And I think those pictures always speak a lot more 
um, than the posed ones. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I think, I think you can see a lot through, like, small moments with people. And I think that's what he can see, too. So, I like that about him. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's about it. I like that. I think he is a fine artist. <laughs> <laughs> he just uh, needs to not... Be a creep? Be creepy. Yeah. <laughs> Work on that, Jonathan. <laughs> maybe, just, maybe... Like, do, just, like, do the one thing. That you're not supposed to, like, just don't do the thing. <laughs> maybe he'll figure that out by next season. <laughs> we'll see. I feel like he already learned his lesson. After he got... He was very uh, regretful, yes. He got his camera broken. And, <laughs> uh, he obviously, like, when Nancy saw the picture, he was, like, ashamed of himself and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. he showed some remorse. Yeah. Not that that clears his actions. <laughs> just, I don't think he would do it again. Yeah. <laughs> Which is good. <laughs> um, what did you think of the conversation they had about it later when they're walking through the woods? Um, and Nancy's like, you never said, what was I, what was I saying when you took that picture? Um, his answer to that, uh, was something along the lines of that. She's a girl pretending to be someone who she's not. Um, and immediately, of course, Nancy gets really defensive and is like, I'm not pretending to be anyone. You just don't like uh, Steve, and that's that's why you're saying these things and all that. What is? What do you think about that? Do you think that she was trying that she's trying to be someone that she's not, or do you agree with her? I think it's a hard question because I think that at in that scene in the at the with like the party with Barb when she like started drinking and stuff that kind of felt like something she was making her do for appearances or whatever cuz Barb seemed really like off put by it I mm-hmm. guess and I and so like that kind of felt like she was I think that there I don't know if that's what's happening in this but I think that using the I'm trying to take Steve out of it cuz using Jonathan's quote of like I see a girl who's like pretending to be someone she's not she like Maybe she likes the things, the person she's being, and, like, you only are saying that because you don't like her. Like, just because yeah. you don't like the thing, like, who I am doesn't mean that I don't like who I am kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's an easy trap to fall into. Like, I think in real life you can you can be like, oh, why are you acting like that, or why are you doing this, or whatever. And it's like, well, I, I don't... I want to be like this is what I want to do like this is how I want to be yeah Um, not saying that those are always good choices but like (laughs) I don't know yeah I think it's also like where when is it pretending to be someone else and when is it just like changing as a person yeah that's what I was trying to get to (laughs) there's the words there you go (laughs) and like I feel like that's definitely something that I've experienced, you know, with myself and with friends and stuff. Um, And it's even like you act a certain way around some people that you don't act around other people. So then when when those start to kind of overlap. (laughs) So like after I'd been in college for a little while, I went back and was talking to my high school friends and I made some kind of like inappropriate joke or whatever. (laughs) And they all like stared at me like, what? <laughs> and, and so I was just like, oh, I, sorry, I don't, I forgot I don't talk like that with you guys. <laughs> and it's like, 
it's just this, this weird moment of like, I don't know, because people change and it's not always a bad thing. And we've talked about that before. Um, yeah. But like, I don't know. So it's, it's, is there ever really pretending to be someone that you're not? Or is it just like expressing a different part of yourself? But like, I also, I can change in that way, but also still do it in the confines of the person I want to be. Like, I am still being a person that I, like, respect and want to be, but I'm also, like, trying new things and doing different, and, like, I don't know, being a little different in that, and, like, within the confines of, like, what I find appropriate and and respectable for how I want, how, like, what my standards are. Yeah. And, like... And my standards are uh, for a person can be more fluid than, like, I don't know, some other person's standard for what a person should be. I don't know. <laughs> like, the way that they're saying, like, you're pretending to be someone, is it, it's in terms of, like, you're drinking or you're moving a little faster with guys than you used to. Or, like, to, like, some extent have, like, dumped... Not dumped Barb, because, like, she's still her best friend, but, like, kind of has, in a way. Like, dumped Barb to hang out with this guy. And, like, that's not so much changing as it... Or, like, faking as it is, like, having to balance more people. You know, like... (laughs) Like, literally, like, having a best friend and having a boyfriend. Like, those are things you have to balance. And, like... (laughs) Sometimes, like, obviously, one is the loss of time with the other. Like, if I'm, if she's hanging out with Steve, she can't be hanging out with Barb if they're trying to have, like, a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship and, like, are building that, like, intimacy. Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then she has to also do the same thing with Steve and, like, say no to Steve because she's gonna, like, try to balance her friendship. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I, I think that changing we sometimes see it selfishly like you're changing as in you're not the same as you used to be as in I like our relationship is a little different and it's like well you have to adapt to what your life is yeah (laughs) like at the moment um I don't know I think it's a hard line to balance because it's also it's also like are you changing it depends on the motives like is she drinking because she feels pressured to is she drinking because she wants to impress steve like those are are worse changes than like is she drinking because she wants to try it um which okay i'm not to promote underage drinking (laughs) (laughs) i think it was worse a little worse for her because she went into the night saying like barb make sure i don't do something stupid Mm. And, and then when barb was like hey, we should leave, and she was like, just, just, like, be cool, like, I think that made it a little more, like, oh, maybe Jonathan is right, yeah, but, but I think at the same time, it's, I don't know, it's a hard concept, I don't know, I mean, outside of the the show, it's harder than, than inside, but, Mm -hmm. that was a long, long thing, sorry. (laughs) What you're saying, it sounds like, um, the way that you see the difference is, like, If you can make this decision, like, outside of the circumstance um, that's, like, consistent and, 
like you're set on it and like this is the person that you're going to be and these are the things that you value and what you won't do um and then if you go into the situation and you just like throw those out the window then like that might be where um you're not just changing as a person you're maybe trying to be someone that you're not really supposed to be that's what it sounds like uh from what you're saying anyway yeah I think that's that there's some validity to that, but now I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking about like, I just keep thinking of drinking because she was drinking. <laughs> yeah. Because like, I've totally had moments where I've been like, oh, I'm probably not going to drink anything tonight. Or like, I'll have like one or two so I can drive home in a few hours or whatever. Like, I've gone in with those intentions and then like, ended up having to stay the night at Danielle's house and like... <laughs> And that's, like, just me changing my mind. <laughs> like, you know, like, like I'm allowed to change my mind. Like, I'm allowed to have three beers instead of two. Like, <laughs> as long as that's not harmful to, to me or others. But there has to be a line, though, because I can't just, like, it's a, it'd be me changing if I, like, I don't know. If you said that... Suddenly started hooking up with people or something. I don't know. It would be changing if you said that you were going to go to Danielle's house and have one beer and leave, and then you ended up, like, running off with some guy. (laughs) 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 And, like, getting a Vegas wedding. (laughs) Right. I don't know. It's, It's a fine line between, like, changing and just changing your mind. (laughs) Like... (laughs) That's, that's, like, part of the reason that I wanted to ask is, like, I don't really know. And, like, and it's also watching the show, um, when someone gets defensive like that, then it's, like, that's a cue to the audience to be, like, she's, like, this isn't what she, what's actually going on. Like, she's getting overly defensive. Like, obviously, Jonathan is right. Um, Mm -hmm. but, like, just thinking about the situation separate from that, I don't know. I feel like... I don't know if she was pretending to be someone that she's not. I think that she's acting differently than she has in the past. Um, yeah. For sure. Yeah. And, I mean, she wasn't being great, because she was obviously being very dismissive of Barb, um, yeah. and not being a good friend to her, and not respecting the agreement that they had made ahead of time, um, which is that she would listen to Barb when Barb was telling her to, like, calm down or whatever. Um, but I don't know if it was pretending as much as just like she went into it not expecting things to work out as well as they did type of thing you know and then like now she's in this situation and it's like great I'll go with it um Uh like that kind of thing so I don't think that she felt like she was pretending but it was definitely like a harsh shift to her her character from how she had been before yeah and that's interesting of like she was acting differently. She wasn't pretending to be someone. Like, I think that's interesting, too. Like, you can do something that's different than what you normally do, but, I mean, no one knows. Like, the only one who truly knows the answer to this question is Nancy. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. like Jonathan can, can speculate, can even have a, even if she didn't, like, react like that, they could have a discussion about it, but, like, at the end of the day, like, he's never gonna know. Only she's gonna know. And, mm-hmm. and whether or not she, she even knows that is, 
I don't know. Like, maybe she perceives it as as her just trying something new or, or changing or whatever, but, like, she doesn't see it as pretending, and maybe she's not, and maybe maybe she is in a denial. Like, this is a lot of, like, it's very deep. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, she doesn't have to know, really. Yeah. <laughs> she's just doing these things, and, and whether or not it's, and especially in high school, you don't super know who you want to be yet. Mm-hmm. You're still making a lot of choices about who you want to be. And who you are is sometimes not a choice, so... <laughs> Whatever. Um, so I don't know. <laughs> just getting upset now. <laughs> uh, just let Nancy be who she wants to be. Jeez. <laughs> we can move on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's probably a good choice. <laughs> so this is the very first thought I had regarding um the show was we have these three groups of, like, the teenagers, the kids, and the adults. And um, the kids who know something's up pretty quick, like, are, like, the first ones to know something's up. They don't, they, like, choose not to tell anyone about it because they know they're not going to be taken seriously. And they can't go to the adults because they know that they're going to be written off because they're kids. And, like, and as an adult now... I can even look back at like moments where what I what I was doing or what I thought was perceived differently by adults and like even to this day if like an adult tells that story of me as a kid they're telling it incorrectly because they're <laughs> not they're not telling what I what I believed about that or or how I felt during that and like it's not the truth to me, I guess. Um, this is really weird to, to try to articulate. But <laughs> the question that I wrote down was like, how do you balance moments where kids may actually know what they're talking about and moments where you actually do have to dismiss things because they're kids and what they perceive isn't true? So like as an adult, validating things that kids may actually know and understand Versus the moments where you have to be like, no, like, there's not really a monster following you. <laughs> but, I mean, obviously in this case, like, there was. <laughs> but, and, like, that's not going to normally be the case. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the other, like, the other thing that about belief um, for adults was, like, in the adult ra- realm... Um, with Joyce, she, like, starts seeing the lights and hearing the voices, and, like, those are true. And as the audience, we know that, like, that what she's experiencing is real. But everyone in the town, rightfully so, like, <laughs> thinks she's crazy. And, like, if you think about it, like, in real life, everyone would think she's crazy. <laughs> like, yeah. like, that's the normal response. And so, like, how do you draw, like, the line... Um, of belief because like obviously this was fiction but I don't know there are definitely like true things that people don't believe like I don't know I can't think of it but I remember telling a story and being like I feel like I wouldn't believe it if I wasn't there or whatever (laughs) and like and I made a note of like especially when the sheriff um confided in in Joyce telling her that like yeah, I heard Sarah after she was gone, and it's hard to... Th- and, and, like, he saw his self in her her situation. 
um, and it seemed identical to him, and he so he thought he knew what was happening with her, but, like, her situation was different. It was real. Um, I don't know, just perceiving situations and and how it went, like, how would you know when to believe something? How do we, like, make the choice to believe things that seem difficult to believe or, like, believing kids? I don't know. All of that made me... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I feel like um I don't it's a tricky one. I feel like you need to go into these situations like trying to understand where the other person is coming from at least. Um like I feel like that's got to be the starting point for anything. Like I don't know. Like there's definitely value in bringing your own understanding of the world into things. Um like what you were talking about with Hopper, um, saying like, oh, I heard my daughter too after she was gone. Um, But like at a certain point, you need to be able to remove yourself from the situation a little bit. Um, Because I think it's so easy to go into anything being like, oh, that didn't happen to me, so it's not happening to you. Um, (laughs) You know, like in in any situation. (laughs) Um, And... But, but like, you have to be able to hear the other person um, and what they're saying. And, and, like, I don't know. I feel like I'm uh, – I would like to be one to give the benefit of the doubt. I don't know if I am or not. Um, but – and, like, I mean, when someone's saying that the lights are speaking to them, you know, I don't know. I, I would need a little evidence there. But, like, if it's something a little bit more reasonable, I don't know. It's also hard because we're talking about a science fiction show. <laughs> I know. It's, it's hard to separate us now from, like, this concept. It's hard to separate from, like, someone talking about monsters. Right. Right. <laughs> well, okay, so, like, for kids specifically, um, I think that what they're telling you, like, generally kids aren't going to lie to you. Um, they What they're telling you they think is true. And so, like... I think you need to go at it with some kind of, like, willingness to empathize anyway, to try and see this from their perspective, and, like, being the adult who understands how the world works a little bit better, um, you can make some decisions about whether or not that's true, but you need to actually take that step to actively try and listen to the child and what they're actually telling you. Um, this kind of makes me think of, okay, so, um, (laughs) it's kind of a silly story, and it's going to be an extreme example of this, (laughs) but, um, I was a nanny over the last summer, and I was watching a two-year-old, and, uh, I'm not super great with kids, I'm decent with kids now, (laughs) um, there's a learning curve, I've worked a lot more with kids than I have ever in the past, um, but anyway, so we were, he goes out, he went down for a nap at like 12.30 or 1 every day. And one day I, I like, I picked him up and I said, okay, it's time for a nap. And he, and he just looks straight at me and he goes, I don't want to take a nap today. And I was like, oh no, like we, t- it's okay. Like I'm going to put you in there anyway. And he looked at me and he just goes, there's a shadow man in my closet. <gasps> <No>! <laughs> and I just, and I just went. We're not taking a nap today. <laughs> <laughs> and he's on the couch. Oh, man. 
And I said, this is how 90% of horror movies start. I believe you, kid. We are not taking a nap today. We are chilling on the couch till mommy gets home. I love that you didn't like go and check it out or anything. You were just like, okay. I was too scared. <laughs> I was just like, I believe you. And I, well, I think at the time I was like, I don't think it's real. I think you're just see- like I think that the lights reflecting. I I explained it in a toddler esque way. Mm-hmm. I was like, but if you're scared, you can stay. We can just stay out here. Is that okay? And he was like, yeah. And then he passed that on the couch. No. I was like, this kid has never done anything. Like it was like midsummer, and I put him down for a nap like every day. And then just one random day, he just goes, "There's a shadow in my closet," <laughs> and I'm just like, "Nope, nope, nope." Oh man. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I think so okay. that was fun. So something you said also like brought up an important thing is like, what is your past experience with this person? And like, if you don't have past experience, maybe you're not the person to make that call. Um, but like, if, if someone is consistently honest and like seem to be relatively down to earth and like a sane person, <laughs> then if they just suddenly for no apparent reason go off the deep end and start talking about this crazy <laughs> stuff, then maybe there's reason to believe them <laughs> or like to investigate that a little bit further. Um, I, I really, as an adult, I should have just gone into the closet and I couldn't make myself. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of those on the internet, like the creepiest thing my kid ever said to me, stories or whatever. Yeah. There's a lot of those, and so I know it's not, like, unique to, to the situation, <laughs> but, like, I don't know. I just couldn't deal with it that day. <laughs> I think that's about it for us today. Um, thanks for listening. You can uh, sit, contact us through many different so, uh, social media platforms. We're on Twitter, uh, 433 Miles Apart, or you can email us at 433milesapart at gmail.com. We are on Instagram at 433milesapartpod. And you can also send stuff to us using the hashtag uh, 433MA or 433milesapart. You can you can reach out to us and let us know your your comments, um, uh, your suggestions for future episodes. You can send us. Uh, usually, Rachel and I are drawing during this, and then we post our pictures up on our website. Um, you can send us your doodles, and we'll post them on our website. <clears throat> our website. We post a blog post for every episode, so if you want to like start a discussion in the comments there surrounding this episode or on our SoundCloud. Um, it would be soundcloud.com slash 433milesapart or our website, which is the best place to go, is 433milesapart.wordpress.com. Um, um, so we're going to end this podcast with um, a couple of the quotes that we liked. Um, go take it away, Rachel. <laughs> so this is, this is when Dustin is on the phone with Mr. Clark and is trying to uh, figure out how to make a sensory deprivation tank. Um, And so Mr. Clark is saying, like, can't we just talk about this on Monday? Why are you calling me? And Dustin says, why should we keep this curiosity door locked? (laughs) He's my favorite character. I wrote down so many quotes by him. Uh, Okay, go ahead. Um, My quote... um was by Mr. Clark when he was talking to the kids. 
And he's explaining the um, acrobat and the flea tightrope theory. Um, And he says, science is neat, but I'm afraid it's not very forgiving. Awesome. Mr. Clark, the unsung hero of Stranger Things. (laughs) Right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Thanks for listening. All right. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Done. (laughs)